0: and it's a privilege to be together. Thank you for taking the time to do those surveys and if you didn't get a chance to complete it, please just finish it off before you head out and give them to the stewards on the way out. That's how we're going to collect them up this morning. But thank you for participating in that and would you pray with the elders we'd have wisdom as we uh, work through the uh, results of those different surveys. I don't know whether you know this, but in the evening service we are looking at the book of Romans 8. And last Sunday, Andy Prime started us in Romans chapter 8, and he gave us a challenge about whether we would commit to learning the chapter. And uh, you don't even have to come to the evening service. Why don't you think about that over the next few weeks? Try and memorize Romans chapter 8. Um, I watched a great little uh, TED talk this last week about how to memorize things. And I'm going to share it after the evening service to teach you how you can learn learn verses really simply. I I learned the first four verses in about 20 minutes yesterday morning. Really. And I'll show you how I did it. So come out in the evening if you don't know how to do that anyway and uh, work with us as we go through Romans chapter 8. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much that we can meet in your presence as your people. What a privilege it is. Lord, we know that we only come because your son has covered over our sins and our transgressions and that you have showered your mercy upon us and called us into your family. Thank you that you are present here with us. Lord, we know that you're a God of mighty power who can do awesome things. And so would you speak into each one of our lives, take up your word now by your spirit, drive its truth deep within that you would change us and make us to be a people that will live for your praise and glory we ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, are you anxious this morning? Have you come today with uh, a load of worries on you? Are you um, somebody who spends more time sighing than smiling? Uh, I wonder today... Are you aware that around you in your life you have lots of relationships where there's arguments, there's tension, there's difficulties? Or maybe you're part of the younger generation and maybe you're addicted to your Facebook status. You're always checking what's happening on Facebook. You're always updating it with lots of amazingly half-truth things about yourself. Well, if, if, if any of those things are true of you today, then this has been a great Sunday to come to church. Because I think there's some important truth here in First Peter 5 that God wants to uh, press into our hearts and into our lives. So um, please open to First Peter chapter 5. This is where we've got to in our series. First Peter chapter 5. And if you, um, if you need uh, a Bible, there should be a red church Bible in front of you. And if you go to page 1220... 1,220, you should find yourself at 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, I knew a man who was a very wealthy man, and uh, he was used to other people doing things for him, and he was a Christian man, and he was a generous man, and it seemed really exciting to have him around except that began to notice that every act of generosity very much kept him at the center and in control of things. And I observed that um, how he began to treat some of his employees who were in the church was rather poor. And so on behalf of the elders, I went to meet with him and challenge him about his behavior. There were repentant tears, but then... After I went, his hard heart became hardened and he rejected everything that was said about him. He was not the problem. Everybody else was the problem. And so he stormed off and left the church. And what became apparent actually was this was the way this guy operated. In fact, going back to the previous churches he went to, he left them in a storm as well. Leaving a whole series of disordered and broken relationships behind him. Well, what does God have to say to us about a situation like that? Well, let's read from 1 Peter chapter 5 and uh, verse 5. I'm going to break into the middle of that sentence. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is God's word. Now, if you've got a short attention span, and uh, you know you're feeling a bit sleepy, then focus in on that quote. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If your mind starts wandering this morning, why don't you just come back to memorize this verse? Forget about Romans 8. Let's do this verse first, shall we? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Should we try it? Together, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It is well worth us memorizing this verse and uh, coming back to it over and over again because it is always true. It's a quote from Proverbs. It's quoted in two places in the New Testament, here and in the book of James. And so it's pretty significant. And in the original language, it has this sense. God is continually opposing the proud and he continually gives grace to the humble. And so that's why we should really meditate on this. Um, God opposes the proud. Let's think about that part of the statement. What is pride? Now many years ago I read a very helpful book by C.J. Mahaney on humility. And I think probably some of these ideas have come from that book. I didn't check. Um, but let's think about what is it? What is pride? It is that attitude of heart where we just consider ourselves better than other people isn 't it? Well, we have a kind of a, a an inflated view of ourselves that actually isn 't backed up by the facts and have a higher estimation of ourselves, uh, an unmerited view, and so we end up looking down on other people and despising them that 's what pride is. Pride can take many forms it 's most prevalent in our words uh, it can be in those um, one word put downs that we find ourselves doing just to put people in their place and of course what are we doing when we put people down well we're just making ourselves just a little bit taller aren't we as we push others down we just rise a little bit higher because really pride is about making ourselves just look a little bit taller and a little bit more glorious that's what pride is about um, Other evidences of pride would be boasting. Boasting about our minimal achievements. Um, It can be, in other areas, it's often seen in our relationships. Um, If you're finding that your life is full of arguments and tensions and bitterness, it may well indicate that we have a problem with pride. Uh, If we're always the sort of people that doing all the talking and never listening, that's probably an evidence of pride. If we're quick to pass judgment and yet we can never take correction, that's evidence of pride and that's a serious problem. If we live in fear of being criticized by people and yet at the same time we're constantly criticizing other people, we've got a pride problem. If we're full of self-pitying and grumbling, rather than thanksgiving. That says we've got a pride problem. Pride shows itself in lots of ways, but its ultimate goal is simply this, self-glorification. That's what pride is about. I want to be revered. I want you to honor me. I want you to think that I'm a really top guy. I, I want to be at the center. I want to be acknowledged as uh, an awesome person. The person is always right. I, I want to be glorious. That is the end goal of pride. And when we put it like that, we can see why God has got such a problem with pride. Because, of course, God alone is worthy. To be considered the top guy, the worthy one, the one to be revered, the one to who is glorious. A- anybody else who desires that place is a fool, a charlatan, unworthy of it. And God is opposed to the proud. This is the ultimate problem with pride. God is constantly opposed to proud people. And that should make us think, shouldn't it? If uh, there is, at the center of the universe, a God who is opposed to proud people, and we're proud people, that's pretty serious. I don't know whether you've ever had uh, any major opponents in your life. Uh, I remember at high school, I was in two fights in high school, and uh, one of the fights was a guy called, with a guy called Ginger. That's what what he called himself. It wasn't derogatory in those days. He he, he enjoyed it. He did have Ginger hair. Anyway, uh, Ginger basically stood head and shoulders above the rest of us. I don't know whether he was put back a year or he just had testosterone pumped into him. I don't know. But Ginger was bigger than the rest of us. And uh, I went head-to-head with Ginger. And it wasn't sort of head-to-head. It was like like that. And for some reason, uh, I laughed at Ginger. And I made fun of him. It was pretty stupid. I'm pretty puny now. I was even punier then. And, and, and Ginger looked at me, and he saw the teacher come, and he said, after school, you're going to get it. I was pretty shaken. And, uh, you know, after school, I got it. He, 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 <laughs> he, he followed me out of school. I was walking. He was walking by me. I walked a bit quicker. He walked a bit quicker, went around the corner. He smacked me up. He beat me up. Well, ginger is one thing, if ginger is your opponent. But what if God is your opponent? If God is opposed to you, that's a pretty serious thing, isn't it? If you want any lessons of what it's like to be against God in your pride, then read the beginning of Exodus. Uh, Recall how God dealt with proud Pharaoh. Moses said to him, let my, uh, God says to you, let my people go. But uh, Pharaoh was proud and he refused to acknowledge God. He refused to obey God's word. And so God said, okay, right, I'll show you who's in charge. And then came these uh, signs and wonders. We call them plagues. To deal with this proud Pharaoh. And he was humbled. Proverbs 16 verse 5 says this, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. We should not fail to see the significance of the sin of pride. It is the essence of all sin. It places places us under God's condemnation. And if we do not repent of it, it will take us to hell. And so if you're finding that your plans and dreams keep getting blocked and uh, opposed, this text would maybe urge us to consider whether this might be the Lord opposing us to challenge our pride. Now that's the great warning of this text. Let's consider the great promise. He gives grace to the humble. Now what is humility? Humility. Well, humility is that attitude of heart that actually views others as better than myself. That, that has a right estimation of myself. And actually is willing to serve other people. Shows that I value other people. That's humility. And of course, it is one of the marvelous fruits that comes when someone is truly born again as a Christian. Proud people... Begin to show humility. Do you remember what Jesus uh, said in that parable uh, in Luke's gospel? He talked about two men. He talked about a Pharisee, this top religious guy, and actually religious pride, of all types of pride, religious pride stinks the worst. It is the worst form of pride, religious pride. This proud Pharisee and a tax collector, who in those days were uh, kind of considered the lowest of the low, and um, the Pharisee was at the front of the church, praying very loudly to all, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Oh, he's glorious, isn't he? I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. God, the one at the back. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Now, how does he sound to you? Pretty proud, isn't he? Pretty proud. Pretty proud. But the tax collector, what's he doing? Well, he's at the back of church. He's at a distance. He would not look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is what Jesus says. I tell you that this man, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the start of the Christian life, isn't it? To uh, humbly acknowledge that we are sinners, that we are rebels, that we deserve God's judgments, that there's nothing to commend us before God. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's, that's how you begin the Christian life. And um, that's how you go on in the Christian life. In the church I used to pastor in America, there was a, an ophthalmic specialist, uh, an eye doctor called Ken. And Ken... Um, grew up in a jewish family he was a high achiever he was very successful in everything that he attempted and um, his wife juliet uh, became a christian and started dragging him along to church and i remember those early early weeks of him sitting there he was not impressed he did not want to be there you could see him just tutting at everything i said but anyway the god began to work in his life and grudgingly he agreed to do the christianity explored course and I'll never forget that Sunday when he came up to me after church, clearly affected, and he said this, I never thought I was a sinner, never done the big stuff, but I can now see that the whole of my life has been characterized by the sin of pride. And that week, he called on God to have mercy on his soul, became a Christian. Now I wonder, have you ever, uh, have you been like that tax collector? Have you called out to God to, to be merciful to you? Have you put your trust in the death of Jesus on the cross to cover your sins? Do you know what? If you've not done that yet, you could do that today. And I would urge you to do so because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Well, that's how we start the Christian life. But uh, such humility is the way we keep growing as a Christian. And so Peter kind of closes this letter with this encouragement by reminding of this truth. And in a sense, that central truth is what drives in two applications. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, there's two applications of that. Two applications. First application, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Verse 5. All of you. does, Does that miss anybody out? No, no. All of you, all of us, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, it says. Now churches will only remain united in places of love and witness when we keep working on humility. Uh, Top Gear is a funny old show. Uh, it's, not, you know, it's got some bad elements, it's got fantastic elements as well. But I, I had the shock of my life last week when uh, Jeremy Clarkson was in Burma and he's reading uh, Eric Lomax's book, The Railway Man. Uh, you might have seen the advertising logo uh, going around the city for this film. It's had two big Hollywood stars, Colin Firth and Nicole Kidman starring in it. And of course, Eric Lomax used to attend Charlotte Chapel. And I remember the first time I read this book, I fell off the chair when I started reading it, because I had no idea that this man was linked with Charlotte Chapel. And uh, this is him looking back on his life, and he describes Charlotte Chapel in the 1930s. A generation past, so few, all right? Uh, but this is how he describes Charlotte Chapel in the 1930s. And we, we, should, we should listen very carefully to this, because this is a call not merely to individual humility, but corporate humility. You can have institutional pride, can't you? So this is, this is his perspective. I'm sure we could say things against it, but this is what he had to say. Looking back, I can recall little except an extraordinary arrogance. The members of Charlotte Chapel were better than everybody else. They were saved. They were exempt from normal rules. They were certainly above compassion. I do not know it. I did not know it, but I was living in a matchbox with people who thought they could rule the world. This was, after all, a church with but one chapel, which financed its own missionaries to Africa and Asia. The older members were immensely bitter and um, obsessed with status. If newcomers or visitors uh, bl- occupied a pew which an, an old, another member felt that he or she had the claim to, the interloper were the object of furious resentment. There were petty divisions, petty angers, small minds. I've quaked every time I've seen that advertising hoarding because I think, well, people are going to go, if people in Edinburgh see this railway, they go, oh, I'm going to read the book. And what are they going to read about Charlotte Chapel? It's not a very flattering picture as he charges the congregation that he experienced in those days of arrogance. Now, I. I don't think that's true of us today I don't Uh, but we need to heed what Peter says here Uh, since there is a God in the universe who opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble what's the first application? well all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another And the, the picture is, is of, of putting on, you know, every time we go out the door, we, uh, we wake up in the morning, we choose what clothes to put on, don't we? How are we going to present ourselves to the world? Well, he says, well, make sure before you go out into the world, put on humility. Don't leave home without it. Don't come to church without it. Um, and the picture is almost of tying, tying it on. And I think um, it was Ed Clowney who suggests that maybe Peter had in his mind the idea of tying a servant's apron around himself. And of course, none of the disciples could have possibly forgotten that night when Jesus, their Lord and Savior, took off his outer coat, put on kind of like a towel, as it were, and got down, and cleaned and washed their dirty feet. A picture of what he was going to do the next day by dying on the cross and so being able to wash away their sins. He was coming to serve them. And he calls on them to serve one another with exactly the same humility, to have the humble servant heart. This is who Christ is. This is the the person that we follow as disciples. And therefore, we as believers should be those who tie around ourselves, clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. Now, this is something that we all need to keep working on. I'm so aware of the ways that I need to keep working on it. Um, you know we have different views on music some like bands some like organs and we all have different preferences on that and the challenge as, as we as, as the joy of meeting a church where there's people all different ages and different backgrounds is actually are we going to clothe ourselves with humility and recognize that other people's preferences might be okay at times um, we have different views on uh, leadership decisions perhaps and uh, We have forums where we can discuss and talk those things out. But when decisions have been made, are we going to be those who actually clothe ourselves with humility? As leaders, as we have ideas, and and we're challenged, and people say, look, this isn't a very good idea, and they show it's not a good idea. Will we clothe ourselves with humility and change track? All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Because, why? I think you know the verse, what is it? God... Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Because there's such a God, not only should we um, clothe ourselves with humility, but secondly, we should humble ourselves under God. That's verse 6. See, it links in. Humble yourselves, therefore, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you now let's remember the context that Peter's dealing with here uh, he's not he's not in modern-day Edinburgh where actually it's quite straightforward being a Christian uh, he's in uh, first century uh, the area that we know today is Monday Turkey and it's a time where they're beginning to feel quite a stinging opposition they're suffering for being Christians now let's put ourselves in that mindset imagine what it would be and we're beginning to know a little bit about it um, you know we, we realize now that people are starting to think of us as a pretty weird fundamentalist group who quite possibly could be dangerous that's sort of the language that's beginning to get out there isn't it there was a debate uh, I saw on TV uh, about should we allow children to grow up in fundamentalist homes and their examples of that were radical Muslims and, uh, and, and Christians who believed in hell. So, that, so for them, they've just, they've just smacked fundamentalist and dangerous. Do you notice that? And that doesn't feel very nice, does it? And that's just about reputation. But on top of reputation, can you imagine being in an environment where actually there really is a loss of face in society? Perhaps people start stop coming to your business and buying your goods because you're a Christian maybe it means uh, loss of your possessions maybe it means you lose your job maybe it means you get demoted maybe it means that you experience imprisonment maybe it means people lose their lives now that's the context that he's writing this in and so he, he wants them to, to, to in that situation he says cast your anxieties on him Those are real anxieties, aren't they? Those are real cares. Those are real burdens. And I don't know about you, but when life starts getting stressful and disappointing, I I have a tendency to look for people to blame. And sometimes we can point the finger at God. Why have you brought this into my life, God? Instead of rejoicing that uh, this gracious God allows any good things to happen to people who are formerly rebels... We get really upset when bad things happen. Um, How will we respond when bad things begin to happen to us and we experience difficulties and oppositions for being a Christian? Will we walk away from our faith in Christ or will we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand? That is to say, will we humbly accept suffering and opposition as part of God's mysterious plan? That God will, can allow these very situations to come about? Can we accept this suffering and opposition as something that is coming in some mysterious way from God? And are we willing to humble ourselves under God's mysterious plan? Will we keep humbly trusting Christ when things get tough? Or will we walk away? Will we consider that it's more important to be associated with Christ and experience even humiliation? Because Christ is worth it. Or will we be proud and walk away? Well, before the Exodus plagues, God described how he was going to deal uh, with Egypt. And this is the phrase he uses, I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike them. And to describe ourselves as sort of submitting ourselves under God's mighty hand is to remind us that, that, that God is sovereign that he is powerful, he is the one who ordains events by his power. But the beautiful thing for, this, for us as Christians in this verse is that this hand that's uh, stretched out to bring judgment on Egypt, on their proud hearts, is the same hand that is actually reaching down to protect and keep his people. This same mighty hand. God's mighty hand is there to save us. And in God's good timing, to lift humble people up and exalt them. That's the promise of humility before God. That if we humble ourselves before Him, in God's good timing, He will exalt us, He will lift us up. Now, this can happen in this lifetime. A few weeks ago, the Romanian pastor, Doru Popper, died, and he left an amazing legacy in Romania. He refused to comply with atheistic uh, communist government and he paid a very heavy price for his opposition and suffered for his Christian faith in lots of ways. And people around him suffered as well because of his stand. But after the fall of Nikolai Ceausescu and the collapse of communism, he was granted great respect within the nation because of his standing his ground. He was given a massive plot of land in the city of Arad to build a, a large Baptist church there. He later became mayor in the city of Arad alongside pastoring a church in order to, uh, in the, with the goal of clearing up corruption in the city. And his death was recognized by the national media and by the president of the country. So actually this can happen in people's lifetime. But more often than not, it's not in this lifetime, is it? But it'll certainly be worth it when we're rewarded in Christ's return. As we've seen right through this letter, there's, there's a pathway of following Christ. What was Christ's pathway through life? It was suffering now and glory to follow. And as we follow in the footsteps of Christ, that, is, that really should be our expectation. Suffering now, the crown to come, glory to follow. And so humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will exalt you. So what does it mean? How do you humble yourself? What practically do you do to humble yourself under God's mighty hand? Well, there it is in verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Just think, isn't that a beautiful promise? Actually, it's an invitation. Cast your anxieties on me, says God. Is that what he says? It's better than that, did you notice? Cast all your anxieties on me. Uh, it's an invitation to a uh, stress-free day. Sounds good, doesn't it? It's not a responsibility-free day. He doesn't take the responsibilities away, but he's, he, he's willing to take the anxieties away if you will cast all your anxieties on him. And do you know what? You can do this. He, he wants you to do this because he, the mighty God, cares for you. Now, how precious that is if you're experiencing real opposition and persecution as a Christian. He cares for you. Cast your burdens upon him. It's true for us. 21st century Edinburgh today, we can cast all our anxieties on him, he says, because he cares for you. That is a good verse to memorize as well. Anxiety is a, is a sign of um, self-sufficiency, isn't it? When I'm acting independently of God on my own resources, I get pretty anxious because my resources are pretty limited. But from relying on the mighty God, the king of all creation, whose, whose resources are limitless, well, I can take off the backpack of anxiety and just hand it to him. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How can you know if you're proud? How can you know? Well, let let me suggest a risky thing. Why don't you invite comments from Christian friends? If you're married, you might want to go to your spouse. They'll be the most truthful. And uh, say to them, look, I want to be corrected if you feel that I'm showing the sin of pride can you see ways in which I'm being proud in my life could you show it to me do you want to find out ask those who trust you and love you and they'll let you know and you know what if you are involved in the sin of pride I've got great news for you Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners take your sin to the cross Leave it there. Ask his forgiveness and seek his grace to grow in humility because actually he gives grace to the humble. Isn't that great? Let's pray, shall we? Let's just take a few moments of self-application. Are there specific situations that you're feeling conviction about? that reveal pride from which you need to repent right now.